1: What do I even say other than, hey? (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now.
2: Hey, this is Josh Kennedy from the Black Moods, and you're listening to Pantheon Podcasts.
1: Pantheon Podcasts presents... digs with host and rock and roll archaeologist Christian Swain. Music, culture, technology, and rock and roll. Now, on with the show.
2: I hate these word crimes. You really need a full-time proofreader, you dumb mouth breather. Diggers. Uh, Sorry. I didn't mean to offend anyone. It's a joke. A lyric from the subject of our interview today. Lily Hirsch, who has written a new book on Weird Al Yankovic, will be joining us. Uh, We'll get to that in just a bit all right episode 19 has hit the streets and is tearing up the charts hope you all liked it send your cards and letters your unhinged rants our way we're always looking to hear from the fans and i do try to answer uh, each and every comment uh this episode uh gets us to 1970 uh with it we will be doing uh, one more episode that will close out the decade and open the new one uh, even We even have a title, uh, but that shall remain secret until later. Uh, just know we're trying to move this one along um, a bit quicker. Uh, it's not uh, at present nearly as sprawling as our recent look at 1969, so hopefully we can get this out to you uh, in just a few months. I'll also let you know that we are actually redoing episode one. Uh, the first uh, episode that started this whole crazy five-year journey. Um, it is uh, uh, technically it's 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 a little uh, out of date. We've improved uh, our production quite a bit since uh, we first started. Uh, and it's given us a chance to kind of clean some things up And, you know, in a weird sort of way When, when you do a documentary or you, or you write a, a nonfiction book you, you know, you always finish with the, la- with the first chapter That's, that's you know, because that's the setup for the, for the rest of it And, you know, we just kind of started with one and kept on going So now that we have a, a very good idea of what we're doing We're able to go back and fix some things in episode one We may do that with a few of the other episodes But we'll start with episode one here uh, It also uh, is important for us to do so because there are some changes that are being done for the uh, visual presentation, the documentary that uh, we're working on uh, right now. So it's all in conjunction uh, with that. So, yeah, I took a week off. um, Finishing episode 19 was a a bit of a bear. It was a lot of extra work involved. And uh, so I skipped last week's deeper digs. Please forgive me. Okay, moving on, moving on. Uh, we have a new show for you all to consider. Uh, joining the Pantheon Podcast Network is Jesse Colin Young with a new show called Tripping on My Roots. The former Youngbloods frontman gets together with some of the legendary peers who've built similar careers while also taking a look at the musical heroes that, whose songs have inspired his own. Featuring interviews, musical performances, rare collaborations, and plenty of storytelling. Tripping on My Roots is equal parts documentary, autobiography, and a first-hand look not just into the creative influences of a folk icon, but into an entire country's musical history. We are very pleased and excited to welcome Jesse and his fantastic team to our pod family. So please, go and listen to uh, Tripping on My Roots and let us know what you think. Uh, I think that is show number 45 uh, on the network now. Uh, take a listen in the Pantheon Big Pipe for almost all of our shows to sample and enjoy and then subscribe to the shows you love in their individual feeds. All right. Okay, I hope everyone had a fantastic 4th of July. I know everyone went overboard on the fireworks. uh, At least around here they did. Uh, I swear, for the first time, I felt like I literally was at Gettysburg in 1863. Um, It was absolutely wild. Did anyone get a chance to catch Hamilton on Disney Plus? Of course, I wonder if you all felt the same as I do, that this production is the musical cultural moment of the last decade. I'd love to hear your thoughts uh, if you did manage to catch it. Um, What? Don't believe me? So see it and let's talk about it. Uh, Maybe uh, I have more evidence. Um, I don't know. I'll leave that for later. Or not. Let's get into it this week's episode is with Lily Hirsch, and we are talking Weird Al. Here we go. How does a
0: bastard, orphan, son of a whore, and a Scotsman dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in the Caribbean by providence, impoverished and Waller grow up to be a hero and a scholar. The $10 founding father without a father got a lot farther by working a lot harder, by being a lot smarter, by being a self-starter, by 14, they placed him in charge of the trading charter. Alexander Hamilton, my name is Alexander Hamilton, there's a million things I haven't done But just you wait, just you wait Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it I am the one thing in life I can control Wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it. Wait for it. I am inimitable, I am an original And if there's a reason I'm still alive And so many have died But I'm willing to I'm willing to work, work, Angelica Work, work, Eliza and Peggy
2: Still doubting me on that Hamilton cultural phenomenon thing? Well, this interview was always set for the for this week <laughs> and then Lin Manuel made the decision to drop the musical on July 3rd. Coincidence? Yeah, I think not. Okay. With this week we are all about Weird Al. Uh I actually have history with this guy. Uh, no, never, never met him, but I was a huge Dr. Demento fan back in the early 70s and distinctly remember hearing Al be added to the playlist with his amateur tapes sent in to, to the show he was a kid, like me and my friends. And, uh, you know, the kid who did it. uh, And uh, we all thought, uh, you know, we all thought we could, but he's the one that actually did it. I also saw Al at his first official show with his band that opened for Missing Persons in 1982. And as you'll hear, I thought it was a great time, but apparently a lot of other people in the audience didn't. And I did check with uh, my, uh, my partner in crime, Richard Evans, who was at the show with me in 82, and he He says, oh, yeah, I remember people throwing shit at him. Uh, I think somebody hit him with a shoe in the face. (laughs) So uh, there you go. So uh, I have some Al history. Um, A Southern California native born in 1959 and an only child. At seven, his parents bought an accordion from a door-to-door salesman, thinking this instrument was going to be huge with the new sounds emanating from the rock and roll. It would revolutionize rock and roll. Hmm. Uh, That in itself is quite a humorous origin story. Al is crazy smart and literally nerdy. He graduated from high school early and was his class's valedictorian. Went off to university to study architecture because he was good at math and let's face it, a rather creative way to use math. He did learn the entirety of Elton John's Goodbye Yellow Brick Road on his accordion and that gave him a good understanding of songwriting. He was also a big fan of the famous musical comedians that came before him, like uh, Tom Lehrer, Spike Jones, Stan Freeberg, Alan Sherman, and the like. Uh, He was also a big fan of Frank Zappa. Of course, it all really begins with the Dr. Demento show. He was the guy who actually sent in the tapes and they were clever enough to get the good doctor's blessing and put them on the radio. Not surprisingly, Weird Al was a hit and a hero to all of us other nerds listening to the Sunday night evening ritual of musical comedy. Uh, The rest is history, as they say, a long 40 plus years of history. Lily Hirsch is a musicologist, a writer, and visiting scholar at California State University in Bakersfield. Previously, she taught as assistant professor of music at Cleveland State University. Hirsch studied music history as an undergraduate at the University of the Pacific and earned her Ph.D. in musicology from Duke University. This is her fifth book, which includes some very interesting titles, such as Music in American Crime Prevention and Punishment, and A Jewish Orchestra in Nazi Germany, Musical Politics, and the Berlin Jewish Culture League. I am telling you, this is a serious work about what on the surface appears to be an unserious subject. But I think you will hear that uh, Mr. Yankovic deserves the study by such a fine scholar. Okay, so let's dig in, shall we? Seriously, I give you Lily Hirsch discussing her new book, Weird Al. Seriously. They
3: see me mowing my front lawn. I know they're all thinking I'm so white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Think I'm just too white and nerdy. Can't
0: you see I'm white and nerdy? Look at me, I'm white and nerdy. That's yeah. yeah. I'm a champion of DD. MC, Escher, that's my favorite MC. Keep your 40 out, just have an gray tea. My rims never spin. To the contrary, you'll find that they're quite stationary. All of my action figures and cherry. Stephen Hawking's in my library. My MySpace page, all totally pissed out. Got people begging for my top eight spaces. Yo, I know pie to a thousand places. Ain't got no grills, but I still wear braces. I order all of my sandwiches for mayonnaise. I'm a aware that Minesweeper I can play for days. Once you see my sweet moves, you're going to stay amazed. So fast, the place blaze. No
2: Welcome to Deeper Digs, Lily Hirsch. How are you doing today?
4: I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to be speaking with you you today
2: oh same here uh, and uh, we will uh, we will get to uh, Weird Al and your book seriously um, but how are you how are you doing during the pandemic well, uh, not to mention all the other things that go along uh,
4: yeah well I think like a lot of people this is a difficult time I read some article about the psychological impact on everyone right now and that is a, a very real thing Um, so I'm doing
2: my, my Zoloft intake has gone up. I can tell you that
4: my, your what
2: my Zoloft intake has
4: gone off. My chip intake (laughs) way up, (laughs) 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 I think is, uh, probably common to a lot of people snacking. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, but I'm, I consider myself lucky because I'm home and I'm safe and I plan Mm. to remain that way. So, um, I'm trying to focus on that rather than uh, everything terrible just so i don't you know lose my mind
2: <laughs> yeah it would be very easy to lose one's mind uh and uh you know it does appear uh if you spend a little time on television there are a lot of people that are losing their mind yeah uh,
4: and i get that if you're going to lose it this is the time
2: well rightfully so uh in some aspects uh you know uh i you know i have you know, to i talk to uh, a lot of people um uh, on this show a uh, lot of musicians and and uh, a, you know a fair amount of uh, let us say older folk that you know have been in the business for 50 60 years and you know nobody has seen anything like this. No. Uh, i i don't think we as a you know as a community um, you know globally have have been in a situation like this since world war ii
4: yeah yeah we had the influenza pandemic in 1918 yeah. Um, you know, this sort of ongoing crisis that's normally you have something terrible happen and then you have a recovery period. This right. is just going and going and going. So that's amazing. I think a lot of people aren't sleeping well, I'm homeschooling my kids.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they're off of school and yeah. uh, and uh, and all that. Yeah, I've, I've got uh, a college uh, kid who's, uh, you know, semester got cut in half. Yeah, uh, they did continue online and uh, and he did finish up the year. That's good but yeah uh, so um have you spoken to al to see how he's doing
4: no i haven't Uh, no i haven't um i did enjoy uh, something he put out uh, how's your quarantine there was a group song and they included him in that mm -hmm. and some of his tweets um that he would not be doing a my corona version of his my bologna (laughs) this is very funny um, but no, we corresponded about the book right when it came out. Um, and then I haven't really followed up, but the, the book's timing it, you know, it, I did a book talk right when it came out at CSU Bakersfield, uh, and they had pizza and Twinkies for the students and it was amazing. And then later that day, the school shut down. It was, that was it.
2: <laughs> so that was, yeah, yeah. That, I was going to ask, you know, what, what, what's it like to try to release, uh, a book in this unusual time because you've yeah. had several books uh under your credit so this isn't your first rodeo. No, just to use a Bakersfield vernacular.
4: No, this this was very strange the timing of this and I was so excited. This book I had so much fun working on this book and it was so rewarding in a lot of ways and um Al was amazing. I I got so lucky in choosing him as a person not just because of his ta- talent but also because of his cooperation and the team he has around him, everyone was so lovely. It was just an ideal, wonderful experience. So I was very excited uh, when the book came out um, and then this started happening and um, it it was hard to feel too excited about about anything. Um, It was also a weird time to be writing about or thinking about funny music. Um, In the past, I've written about some you know, obviously heavy topics anti-semitism and yeah
2: yeah yeah well i will want to ask you about a jewish orchestra in uh nazi germany uh we'll get we'll, get, we'll definitely yeah. get to that
4: yeah but yeah but but some of those heavier topics um make more sense right now especially um in one project i i did deal with uh the prejudicial impact of rap lyrics at court uh, mm-hmm. so some of these issues that relate Uh, to the moment, discrimination, ongoing prejudice, uh, systemic Mm -hmm. racism, Um, that feels like the writing and the topics I should be doing right now. Um, But instead, I'm I am continuing to write about funny music and think about funny music. Um, So I had to think about that a little bit
2: i i don't know i think i might disagree with you here here lily the fact is is that in times of darkness what do we need but light no. uh you know you look at the, the 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 depression era uh in this country and you look at the music and film uh, of of its time and it is the exact opposite yeah. it is about trying to lift uh people up with humor grace uh and uh, uh, you know just uh, easier topics to digest uh, you know, then, you know, getting dark and heavy.
4: Yeah. And I can't, I, I agree with you now. I had to think about it, but mm-hmm. the amount of parodies that have come out in the last three months related to the coronavirus is incredible. <laughs> the creativity, and it's clear that people need that. People, I'm constantly getting messages with little memes and songs. You know, this is a way to feel connected. And music and comedy is a great way to create connection and people need that at home, socially distant, more than ever before. So um, I, I had to get rid of some of that guilt and think about my point that I make in the Weird Al book that uh, that humorous music matters, that it can have a serious point and it can have a serious psychological benefit. And I feel that right now, even writing about funny music is kind of saving me right now.
2: No, what the world needs now is more Weird Al.
4: Yeah, I, I completely agree. <laughs> and he wrote that when the book came out, he posted on his different media channels. Uh, if you're looking for some quarantine reading, check out Weird Al Seriously. Right. And uh, and that was a, a, a great little shout out. And so true. It's a really nice distraction um, to kind of disappear into the Weird Al universe.
2: Yeah. But at the same time, <clears throat> the book is not, uh, you know, a straight biography yeah. of uh, of Al or, uh, you know, let's 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 have fun with Al. It is the, the title is Weird Al Seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it's very a, a serious, a serious piece of work, um, you know, because your your background is as a writer, a professor and music. Historian, right? Mm-hmm.
4: That's right. Yeah, and uh, yes. Yeah, so I do have my Ph.D. in musicology, and my topics before, uh, as I mentioned, uh, were you know around musical politics during the Nazi era, and classical music, and uh, music and criminal law. Um, so I did want to approach this topic in a serious way, um, and it does belong to those other works in that I was looking at an area of music that is dismissed or that has some sort of prejudice. And humorous music is one of these things that we think of as insignificant, just light, inconsequential. Um, and when you look at Weird Al's music, I thought about doing a look at his music in particular because there's so much work in it. There's a seriousness that creates that humor. This isn't just some thing anyone could do. This is some weighty work. Um, and on top of that, a lot of the music does have points, have uh, mm-hmm. messages, and and uh, there's a lot to explore in there. So, um, yeah, that that became my focus. And it's is you're right, it is pretty serious. Although I do <laughs> make some jokes, which are not at Weird Al's level. So I apologize. <laughs>
2: Well um how did you uh, come to music? I I mean you know what why music for you? What, what what was um you know what was the the muse that 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 pushed you to uh to follow that?
4: Well, growing up I was always involved in music. I started piano lessons early and I sang in a choir and then I really focused on singing um in high school and into college I thought maybe I would become some sort of opera singer of sorts. Um, So I had that kind of bug. I loved music. I disappeared into music. I loved music. Um, But I also really liked uh, writing. I really liked history. I really liked writing. Um, So I eventually focused on music history as kind of a combination of everything I loved. Um, And in that, I've always been very interested in politics and the ways um religion and race to, can divide us um so that kind of became a part of my my work in music history from the beginning um yeah i uh i studied abroad in vienna during undergrad and this um this kind of this right wing fellow jurg heider came to power and a conductor said he would not zubin made us said he would not um come to vienna again until this fellow stepped down and when he did um, Zubin Mehta came, performed in Vienna and said, Vienna is resurrected. And it was one of these amazing moments in my life, just witnessing that where yeah. see the power of music and how it can combine with politics. And I was hooked. So then I went to graduate school and and that was my course
2: wow that is a pretty um uh, a pretty stellar uh, moment you'd, you'd you know i i ask that question a, a lot and you know you you get a more amorphous answer there's rarely this you know light bulb moment and that is a light bulb moment yeah thanks for sharing that so all right here's another question i ask a lot of people is because it tells me a lot about you what's the first record that you bought on your own with your own money
4: Ooh, that's a tough question. I don't even know if I can remember that. I certainly was given some strange records, and I had people around me that were trying to make sure I was aware of popular music. I was very involved in classical music, so I was oh, not from the
2: very beginning. Huh? Very
4: beginning. So I really wasn't aware of what was happening in popular music. And then someone gave me like a Milli Vanilli CD. I think was one of my, or it was a tape. Was one of my early or Tiffany. Yeah. Um, this now everyone knows how old I am.
3: <laughs> um, <laughs>
4: But let's see, what I was really buying on my own would be uh, like a mauler. It was all classical music.
2: Okay, okay. Uh, Well, that uh, that from classical music to Weird Al, that's uh, that's where we're going today. Yeah. So you have written four books. Uh, uh, I think this is your fourth, right?
4: This is my fifth.
2: Your fifth. I'm sorry. The, your fifth. And there's two of which sound really interesting to me. You've kind of alluded to them already, mm-hmm. but I, I just want to get a little bit more into music uh, in crime and uh, prevention and punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about that. And then I, I want to ask you about a Jewish orchestra in, in Nazi Germany, because I'm always interested in in anything like that uh you know the 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 anything with the diaspora and the the uh the grit uh and strength of the jewish community and what we've seen i i always like to highlight that
4: yeah um so the um the first so it was my second book was music in american crime prevention and punishment um And that was an interesting project. Uh, I read right when I was finishing my dissertation. I read an article about how in Australia they were using music, specifically music of Barry Manilow, to get rid of teenagers to kind of chase them away from town squares. And I
2: thought, (laughs) like, like little spikes and pigeons,
4: (laughs) just from loudspeakers. They just Barry Manilow, Yeah. 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 And i thought that was amazing because in graduate school especially in, in classical music you're thinking about music as transcendent as this uh, amazing sublime higher power that elevates us all yeah. um and then you're hearing about then when i read this about music chasing people away i was like well this is not this is not how i thought of music this is a little <laughs> different. um I didn't
2: know it could be used as a weapon.
4: (laughs) Yeah, it was fascinating. And on top of that, there were these interesting articles about the technique, which, as I started digging, is being used everywhere, Mm -hmm. um, where people said- That's a
2: torture torture device.
4: Yeah, torture device. Well, and that became another chapter, too, in the book, where music actually used in torture. Um, So music is used in all these very destructive ways, in addition to these many positives that we associate with the music. And I thought that was fascinating. And I also found a resistance to that idea where people tried to say, well, actually when music, especially classical music, is used to chase away teenagers, it actually makes them better. They're not just running away, it's, it's improving their behavior, which was BS. That was just That was just wrong. These people were actually leaving. And even when a person liked classical music, they might leave a square because they realize this music is being used in a coded form to say, you're not welcome here. Right. kind of peer pressure or, you know, based on those associations, a person might leave. So it had nothing to do with making a person better. It was, Mm. you know, a more, more negative use of music. And I, I found that there was so much concern that discussing that was somehow damaging to music, that music can't be used in that way, that music can't be tortured because music is so wonderful. But uh, that I was bothered because the, we should be more concerned about people, that <laughs> the music will be fine <clears throat> Yeah. people being tortured or these people being chased away in this kind of hierarchy created by music. Um, So that kind of became the point of the book that music can be used in many positive ways but it can also be used in many negative ways And there's nothing wrong with saying that that's part of music's power Uh, Mm. And let's talk about the ways music's used in negative ways so we can address some of these things and one of those things was um, Rap lyrics uh, used at court. Uh, So that's something ongoing where rap lyrics are introduced as evidence um, in criminal trial, trials to reflect badly on a defendant. Sometimes there's a, just a direct link. Someone will create a rap after a crime that reflects the crime. But a lot of times it's not. It's very general and it's very clear that there'll be a prejudicial impact when rap lyrics are introduced, reflecting negatively on the defendant. And again, this is based in prejudice. It's often a black...
2: That's t- race baiting. Yes.
4: Yes. Mm -hmm. It's racism. Uh, Yeah, absolutely. So that's another, excuse me, that's another chapter I dealt with. And I also wrote a few articles, one in the guardian about how terrible that practice is. It's, that's a part Mm -hmm. of systemic racism. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
2: Well, it reminds me of, uh, you know, the Judas, Judas Priest trial of, uh, you know, the, uh, the two kids that, uh, you know, one actually committed suicide, the other one you know, severely damaged himself uh, and died young, uh, and their parents, you know, sued Judas Priest mm-hmm. because their lyrics uh, supposedly forced them into attempting uh, attempt.
4: Right, and some of act. that's in the book too, about this idea that music can incite violence, but there is no one-to-one link in that way. Um, music is no. always more complicated than that. Same thing with the rap lyrics as evidence. So rap lyrics are were being treated and are being treated as this literal confession. Whereas yeah. rap lyrics are an art form. So there's a lot of thing that things that go into the creation of that text um beyond anything literal, you know, rhyming and sound and uh and traditions of the genre around boasting. So it's not some sort of literal confession. Music's no, we complicated. Could-
2: Yeah, we could, uh, you know, if that were the case, then we should all blame Wagner for the Nazis.
4: Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. So that was that, that was that book. And um, I'm still very proud of that book.
2: Yeah. And then uh, the second book is, you know, a Jewish orchestra, speaking of Nazis, in Nazi Germany. Uh, I I did not read it. Uh, The title is very interesting to me. I probably will pick it up uh, in the future, but tell us a little bit about
4: that. Okay. So that was my first book, um, it was focused on an orchestra that was created during the Nazi era called the Judische Kulturbund, or the Jewish Culture League. Um, and this organization was the idea of uh, Jewish musicians, but it was sanctioned by the Nazis, and it became a separate place for Jews to perform and for Jewish audience members. Um, so it, in Germany, starting right away in 1933, there was this segregated musical life with Jewish Okay. M- This Mm. Jewish orchestra for Jews and then Mm. German music for the um, so-called true Germans, whatever that was. Um, Yes. So uh, in the book, I make the point that this sort of segregation, that Jewish music is meant for Jews, uh, because part of the requirements for the Nazis, they encouraged this orchestra to perform Jewish music, which was a very difficult ask because a lot of the uh, members were very German. Um, these were German Jews, and they performed what anyone was performing. They wanted to perform Wagner and Beethoven, um, and there was a lot of confusion as to what Jewish music actually is. How do you <laughs> define that? Um, so they actually had a conference in 1936 trying to figure out to
2: determine. Uh, okay, this is Jewish. This is not Jewish. Oh,
4: yes, and they and they didn't come
2: up how with National anything. Socialist.
4: It was it was madness. They didn't come up with anything. But um, the big point in my book, in that book was that this sort of early segregation around music helped mentally prepare for the segregation of people.
1: Here's a quick word from our sponsors. We'll be back in a bit.
2: Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them.
1: and now back to the program
2: yeah 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 uh did the orchestra last into the holocaust period it uh... lasted
4: into 1941 which is amazing and there's a lot of criticism around how long it actually lasted that maybe some people didn't emigrate soon enough because they were involved in this orchestra although a lot of people say that wasn't true so um all in all i say in the book that. Uh, the orchestra was different things for different people. It was an escape and solace for some, and for others, it it, it might have fostered an illusion that there was still a place for Jews in Germany at that time.
2: Wow, um, you know, both those books, uh, in 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 weird ways, seem to parallel some of the events that we are um, have been witnessing over the last few years, huh?
4: yes it's been very hard like not just for me i know for so many people to be following the events of right now when there are so many echoes between the nazi era and now
2: yeah you know a lot of people don't understand that uh, you know the uh the takeover of uh, of germany from the weimar, weimar uh period into the national socialist period it did not happen overnight no. it it was a, uh, a about a 5 to 7 year process before uh, there was a complete um change and you know what what directly led to you know what is World War two mm-hmm. um, uh, so you know hopefully and uh, in- I I think it's difficult to achieve that, even though it appears that uh, some are trying to do so in this country. I think, um, you know, our robust uh, democracy um, uh, should be able to withstand uh, 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 an assault like this. But we will find out on November 3rd.
4: Yes, I'm I'm very scared to see what happens. I, I like your optimism. We all need some optimism. But but it is it is frightening, the echoes There's so much around this isolationism, um, the the tenor of talk these days, um, as well as the distrust of the press of facts. Uh, That was something that happened during the Nazi era, um, and we're seeing that again now. um, And it's—I'm afraid, but I—I'll hold on to your hope, and I will keep listening to funny music so I don't go crazy.
2: Well, I'll stand with the original anti-fascists, Antifa, from (laughs) the 1940s uh, and today
4: yeah yeah it's hard not to want to be a part of this that movement the so-called terrorists oh my goodness (laughs) <laughs>
2: What's that's wrong re- with
4: being anti-fascist? It's just
2: yeah, yeah. It's just anti-fascist. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty sure we all agreed on that here not too long ago. Yeah. So uh, you know, fought a big giant war for it, and uh, that's why we dominated the uh, the the planet afterwards by destroying them. Uh, yeah. You know, so why we would ever want to bring them back? I don't get it. But uh, you know, yeah, we'll, memory you know. is
4: short uh, apparently, and it doesn't help us. There's so much
2: distrust around knowledge. <laughs> it is it is and uh yeah we could dive deep in that and we'll leave yeah. that for another discussion <laughs> lily let's move on to uh our our subject matter of today yes uh your new book uh uh and uh, so i guess the first question is why uh, a new book on Al? well
4: there hasn't been a full book on weird Al. we have a wonderful book by um nathan uh which is a kind of a lighter treatment um
2: more of a biography.
4: Yeah, and it's not a, even a full biography. So I thought there's room here for something on Weird Al. Not only that, um, I wanted to write something about funny music. That idea came yeah. first. I wanted
2: Serious, seriously. Yes, I wanted to funny.
4: focus on the merits of funny music and to kind of take on this divide between funny music and so-called serious art music. Um, mm-hmm. So then I thought, well, who would I focus on and Weird Al seemed the obvious choice. He also seemed like a dream subject to me at the time. Um, I talked to an editor who ended up being my editor for this book uh, just at a conference. And we talked about the idea of doing a book on Weird Al. And she said, you know, if you're able to get an interview, just let me know. We'll give you a contract. I was like, okay. Um, And I wrote a letter just kind of being uh, brave. You never know. The worst thing you get is a no, but that's the same thing if you hadn't tried. Um, but somehow this letter to his wonderful longtime manager, Jay Levy, right. um, worked out. And, uh, not only did I get an interview that my first interview was at his house. I, I understand that that is um, is not the norm. When you get an interview with someone like this, a celebrity, maybe you get a little phone chat at first, something like this. They let me come right to his home. And, and that was my first interview. Um, which was an amazingly, it was an amazing experience. I've interviewed people before, but not like that Uh, Mm. and not of that level of fame. So um, I was pretty nervous, not going to lie. Plus, since I'm coming to his home, I felt like I should bring a gift. I agonized over what I could possibly bring. It was such a it was such a funny period of preparation. Like, what am I going to bring yeah. for Mister <sighs> to
2: make a big? Yeah, cer- certainly not meat. uh right, alcohol, no alcohol or drugs. drugs. Uh, that's yeah, right, yeah,
4: yeah. I went through that because sometimes you bring a bottle of wine to someone's home. I was like, that's not going to. That
2: that would be the first thought for me. Hey. Yeah. Oh, I'll get a good bottle of wine. No.
4: Yeah, I was really stumped, and I can't try to give him something really nice. I I mean, I don't know what he has or. <laughs> I ended up bringing him one of my past books just so he knows and, you know, I, I actually can write. They didn't make a bad choice in inviting me over. Um, and then I brought him some local candy, just <laughs> some Bakersfield candies. Um, and, and that's what I went with. But it was, I was so nervous and agonizing over these silly decisions. Um, um, but he was an amazing host. and It was, it was a wonderful experience.
2: Well, they say he is definitely one of the good guys in Hollywood.
4: Yes, they say that, and I wanted to test that. I wanted to write write a chapter about someone nice, and I was. This was also, you know, when I was beginning this project. This was during the Me Too movement, and I was getting very depressed reading all these stories about terrible men, and I was really starting to question all men, which I think is fair. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I thought it might be nice uh, to write about a good guy, just as a reminder that they're out there, and we're Al. Mm-hmm definitely fit that bill so um he couldn't have been a nicer host you know inviting me in offering me you know coffee or tea or something like this and i just i just couldn't believe how lovely
0: he was
2: well i gotta say uh just like his uh 2014 album uh mandatory fun uh the uh the book uh, a serious uh book on weird al is almost an oxymoron wouldn't you say
4: Yes. I thought I loved that title. I, uh, I thought that title was very funny, but it also, you know, I was trying to do a serious treatment, but I knew the title also sounded funny. Um, so it played in two ways for me. Um, and, and that's fun. And that's perfect wordplay too, uh, that uh, fits with the whole Weird Al catalog, since he is so clever with the wordplay and with that title, mandatory fun, how can it be fun if it's mandatory?
0: Wonderful.
2: Yeah. 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 And let's, let's just, you know, get people to understand that, uh, you know, 15, um, uh, excuse me, 16 Grammy nominations, five wins, uh, uh mandatory fund uh, became the first number one comedy album since 1963. Uh, Al Sherman's my son, the nut, mm-hmm. uh, that's, that's a huge accomplishment.
4: Yeah. It's amazing what he's achieved and also his endurance. And that's something that I highlighted in the book, uh, because throughout his career, people have assumed that his career is over. It's just, but it just keeps going. And the amount of albums he's put out and how long his band has been together, it's a testament to so much about him as an artist and as a person.
2: So, for for those diggers who are unfamiliar with Weird Al Yankovic's uh, personal history, I, I'm sure everyone is at least a little familiar with uh, you know some of his parody songs. Uh, can you give a quick uh, you know synopsis of, of of who Al is?
4: Ooh, a quick synopsis. Okay, so he uh, was a very smart young man, and he graduated high school as a valedictorian at the age of 16. And then went right to college and he went to Cal Poly as an architecture major which is a very difficult challenging major and he was
2: somewhat committed yeah, it's, it's right it's right in the balance of art and math I mean, yes uh, you know two very what a lot of people think are two very different disciplines
4: yes but, uh, and you can uh, see that in his music you can see this uh, architecture this layering in his music so it makes some sense but he finished that degree in four years um, and I, I re- I realized that that major was very difficult, and he wasn't totally sure at certain points if architecture was for him. So the fact that he was still able to finish on time a very difficult degree was, a, again, another point, another testament. Without,
2: without having that passion driving. Yes, you, right. Yeah.
4: Yes. So the fact that he did that is another testament to just how smart he is. Um, So during that time, he did uh, become the local DJ at the university um, and put out what became his first big hit, which was My Bologna. He had some play, some success on the Dr. Demento show before that, but My Bologna was probably the first big hit where he got a record deal and all that. Um, And then from there, I would say his next big hit... Uh, was his play with Michael Jackson, so he did the uh, yeah,
2: beat it, yes, um, eat, it. Uh, eat it, eat it, yeah, right. be eat it. Uh, uh, he's an only child, uh, That's right. you know, raised by two wonderful people uh, who, you know, gave good uh, direction, but also let him kind of be himself as well, right?
4: Yes, no, he was very much himself. It does sound like his mom was a little overprotective. Um, and th- that made some sense, too. He was younger than the other kids at school. He picked on a little bit. He had that experience being a bit of an outcast. Um, but yeah, from uh, his parents sound like wonderful people.
2: Yeah. So uh, you mentioned, uh, you know, the man who uh, provides the forward to your book. Mm-hmm. Uh, the uh, you know, the the person probably most responsible for uh Weird Al's, uh, career trajectory. Um, uh, I'm a huge fan. Uh, I grew up, uh, listening to Dr. Demento. Uh, I remember hearing, uh, Al's first, uh, forays and thinking to myself being, being, a, he's a little bit older than me, but not much, uh, and saying, gosh, that's, why don't I should do something like that? And never getting around to it, of yeah. course. Uh, but uh, you know, you know, uh, of course, I didn't play the accordion either. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, it, it was fun. I, you know, I. I, I couldn't have uh, survived uh, some of my uh, early teenage years without uh, the the Dr. Demento show on KMET on Sunday nights. Yeah,
4: Dr. Demento is a legend. If there ever was an expert on funny music, it's Dr. Demento. Um,
2: and let's say he's a musicologist as well.
4: Yes, he went to, well, he went to Reed as an undergrad, and then he went to yep. UCLA to get a master's, and he was a part of this folklore studies program in its very beginning, along with the eccentric guitarist, John Faye, who's also, you know, a legend. Um, and uh, so Dr. Demento could have gone on and become a professor, but he decided that was not for him. And he got involved in the radio business and that show just took off right away. And I, and he described, you know, including some kind of novelties, oddities in the beginning. And then pretty soon they just took over the whole show that became um, his focus um but he's a wonderful man he was so generous in writing the foreword. and uh you and he's a great writer you know he's a, a very smart man as well um and he ha- continues to have this great influence on funny music uh with the funny music project and he's a part of these Logan awards um that give a, that honor uh the musician Logan Whitehurst um um by awarding um um Honoring certain music in different categories each year. So he's he's one of the permanent um, Jurors in that
2: dr. Demento uh, is uh, you know the the um, The on-ramp to uh, to such great music that you know, up until that time it kind of been lost to the past. Yeah. Uh, I mean, without, uh, you know, Dr. D, I I wouldn't know Spike Jones or Tom Lehrer, uh, Alan Sherman, uh, Stan uh, Freeberg, you know, all of those guys. Also huge influences on Al as well.
4: Absolutely. Yes. I'm waiting for the Dr. Demento book. I have already asked him about it there. That has to happen. I think he's working on one. I hope he's working on one. Mm-hmm. um because he, he the interactions he's had as he's promoted these different um people from the past but also new funny music well he discovered a lot of different people um he has these stories he's just an archive of funny music history um there's nothing like him in the
2: world <laughs> yeah 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 so uh like i said uh spike jones uh De face um uh by the way uh my favorite comedy of all time is the producers so uh, to have that you know anything uh that kicks nazis in the face i'm i'm very pro uh and so to to hear that laughing uh my young uh, ass off at the time tom Lehrer, yeah. uh who to me is probably the the statesman of that group uh, yeah. uh you know the vatican rag um the elements uh you know yeah. based on the gilbert and sullivan's um uh pirates of Penzance" yeah. uh, uh song uh you know uh Werner von braun uh comes to mind as well uh you know alan sherman uh, hello mudda hello father and, right. mm-hmm. uh, and all the and stan freeberg's uh deo uh, 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 get nothing for christmas uh george and the dragonette these are, these are Al's musical fathers, wouldn't you say?
4: Yes, yes. When I asked him influences, and he's said it uh, in other places too, he cites all of those amazing musicians. Um, I was surprised when I interviewed him. He also said uh, Ron Serling of The Twilight Show. or Twilight, Twilight Zone yeah which um (laughs) was a surprise but the other musicians um absolutely and he recently the uh npr just put out a special broadcast uh in honor of alan sherman and and al speaks on that interview honoring one of these great influences along with mad magazine um uh yeah al has some wonderful influences
2: yeah, we'll talk, we'll talk a little bit more about Mad Magazine in a bit because yeah, that's another piece, you know, when, you know, the, it's the structure that builds Weird Al, yeah. uh, you know, but uh, definitely Dr. Demento is, uh, is, uh, you know, the foundation. Uh, and out of that you get, uh, you know, the Spike Joneses and Tom Lair's. And I, I believe Tom is still alive. I don't think yeah. he's teaching mathematics no. anymore but but i think he is actually still around
4: he's still alive and, and he's retired yeah he's re- a retired math professor which is amazing
2: then he should revive his musical career
4: i <laughs> know he doesn't seem to have any we
2: goodness. we need tom lehrer now we need uh, all
4: the funny music right now
2: <laughs> that's right that's right that's right so uh you know so so you know the foundation dr Demento, uh the infrastructure um those uh, uh fathers of of music but you make this great point that I, I really, you know, hadn't considered uh, and, uh, and, and, it, it, and it makes Al such an outlier. And that's, um, you know, usually comedy albums and by extension, those who make them are rather ephemeral. Yeah. So yeah. why is that and how did Al break that mold? I mean, well, the only other person I can think of that kind of fits in that category is Victor Borgen.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Victor Borga, that's an interesting choice. Yeah. Al was very smart about his career and he didn't succumb to a lot of the vices that you associate with musicians, which is another kind of joke in his biography. <laughs> um, and his niceness was part of that. Also he surrounded himself with a wonderful team and these people have been very loyal to him all of this time. Um, he's also very good at moving with the times. So his music, um, doesn't become out of step with the new advances at technology. And in talking to um, John Bermuda Schwartz, um, he talked about um, how they had to change the creation of parody based on new technologies and and new developments in the recording industry. Um, And also Weird Al, the way he put out his music changed over time. With 2014, he did this digital... Um, dumping that was uh, so so perfect. And that was something uh, Stan Freeberg talked about having difficulty with, um, coming up with all of these funny songs and having to have enough then to put on an album. And for Al, waiting in that way, um, it, all of a sudden the music isn't as current. And And Al is a student of the zeitgeist, of what is the current trend. And that's part of what makes his parodies so effective, that he, he catches these certain moments. So he has to be so in tune with the moment in how mm-hmm. he produces the music, how he puts it out there, and in the music itself. And he's been able to do that.
2: Yeah, uh again uh, Dr. Demento rightfully, you know, calls him uh the the Beatles of yeah. uh of comedy music and and I I think there's real credibility to that given that, you know, he's now had a uh, you know, 40 plus year career of, you know, doing basically the same thing whereas uh, you know, most of these other guys, you know, had a short career and moved yeah. off to to other ventures, uh, you know, as we mentioned Tom Lehrer went to become a mathematics professor. Right. Uh, and um you know but Al has been able to to maintain that yeah I, I, I and that begs the question that it's gotta be just really hard today to keep up with that because you know if it's you know if it's about the zeitgeist and uh and 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 technology uh in some aspects being a part of this, you know, uh, the zeitgeist changes so rapidly yeah. because of, you know, this uh, interconnected world that we now live in, absolutely. Uh, you know, what, what is, uh, you know, a, a big deal, uh, you know, what, what might be called a viral sensation one day is long gone the next.
4: No, absolutely. And that's something he talked about in interviews, too, was that uh, initially he could just look at MTV, you know, just look at the charts and you know what's big at the moment but uh but pretty soon it became an issue of having to follow an awful lot of different uh, media a lot a lot of different platforms because the whole music industry is so fractured now so there is no one spot to to follow um so that's that's some work right there um i should mention also in how in longevity of his career it you gotta look at his fans too weird al has such a devoted following of fans. And some of these people, at least in my experience, are just as nice and creative and smart as he is. It's an amazing group, um, just from my limited experience. Um, and like,
2: Like-minded people.
4: Yeah, yes. And they're devoted and they're creative. Mm-hmm. There's this idea that fans are somehow, you know, these crazy screaming girls. It's like this pathology, but, um, in Weird Al's case, in a a lot of cases, fans are amazingly dynamic and creative, um, writing their own parodies and creating their own amazing weird Al tattoos. Um, and, uh, just since the book has been out, I've been getting these emails from different fans and They've been amazing. I've never received emails like this. So long, thoughtful considerations of the book, um, and also thank yous for looking at this person in a serious way, who has meant so much to them, who has made it okay to be different, who has said it's it's okay to be an outsider, it's okay to be who you are. So um, that's very powerful.
2: So, uh, a little like uh, the Grateful Dead and the Deadheads, there are owl heads.
4: Yeah, we've got owl heads and they're amazing.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So, uh, you know, I know he's asked this a lot, uh, you know, uh, and you you obviously make the case in this book, but, you know, is his music serious?
4: Well, that's an interesting question. And I think that also goes at the longevity issue. Um, Weird Al is careful not to get too political. Uh, not to make too obvious of an argument um, because he wants to have it have relevance down the future when the political context changes. Um, So when I asked him about pointed messages or serious weight, uh, sometimes he would give me silly answers or kind of get around the point. Um, But I think there is this seriousness, sometimes political, sometimes around gender that's in there. And and that's part of parody. Parody is such an interesting medium where you combine an old song with a new song and it creates this interesting dialogue between ideas and between different musicians. Um, So with that, I was able to do a lot of exploring around some bigger questions um, Mm. of race and gender and politics. Um, he does have some obvious ones like trigger happy that take on gun violence. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was obvious, although he has said that people have missed the point of that and, and thought that that was not tongue in cheek, that that was actually pro-gun, which it is not. Um, is It's not just in those sorts of topics, it's also in the creation of these works. These are very smart works. Um, they're very musical, they're very smart in lyric, and the creation of lyrics. And his process for creating lyrics is, is difficult. It's, it's a very long process. Um, and he experiments with just the right syllable count, just the right sound um, to match the original. So part of the seriousness is in the music itself.
2: Ah, uh, yeah. Uh, word crimes uh, comes to mind when you know about the seriousness, and and you you even bring up the philosopher Jurgen uh, Habermas. Uh, you know, uh, you know. Do you think, uh, given the global strife and and well, we already talked about that. Uh, that uh, yeah, his um, his music is kind of a a solve on uh, the current uh, issues that that we're we're dealing with. Um, but word crimes. Uh, you know, there—that's a great example of taking those—you uh, know—a a song. It's a—it's a parody of the Alan Thicke uh, song, uh, and uh, uh, but talking about grammar is—is right. is the point of it, right? Yeah. You know, so I like, mean, that's, that's only smart people are going to gravitate to a song like.
4: Well, it's a hilarious song that plays in so many different ways. So I don't think it's just for smart people, because he also kind of makes fun of the kind of grammar knowledge. The
2: grammar Nazis. Yes. <laughs> right, right, right.
4: while at the same time supporting all of that. Um. And then on top of that, I thought the song was so great in that it makes the blurred lines appear as ridiculous and kind of terrible as it should look. Um, yeah. You know, blurred lines is a song that made consent a problem. And right. there were other a, parodies that, yeah. that took a very different angle and made it, you know, more obviously in Weird Al's words, rapey. But he didn't go that direction. That was the obvious direction. He went and switched it up and made it about grammar. And in the video, rather than these scantily clad or naked women, depending on the version that you see with uh, Robin Thicke, you have a Weird Al's version uh, where it's dancing exclamation points, dancing (laughs) punctuation, And and it's wonderful. And the juxtaposition makes, Blurred lines appear as kind of terrible as it actually is. So uh, yeah. I think it, the, there's a lot going on in word crimes and also the grammar lesson, language matters. I, I think Weird Al, kind of like Seinfeld, can be dismissed as, you know, music about nothing, a show about nothing. Um, but it, this is this is universal subject matter. This is not nothing. Um, and the way we talk, the way we use words uh, creates our universe. It's.
2: Yeah, it, not they nothing. matter. Words matter. Yeah, Words
4: matter. Absolutely. Now more than ever.
2: Right. All right. So um, uh, I think there are basically three types of Weird Al songs. Uh, You know, there's the straight parody. uh, There is uh, an assumed uh, uh, parody, which is kind of an original type. Yeah, style parody. A style parody, excuse me. And then there's the uh the um the polka uh uh type of of al song so can can we break down al's process of turning um you know let's start with the first one which is you know uh al's process of turning popular song and reworking it into a parody
4: yes so that's one of those moments where he's really following the zeitgeist he finds the right song Uh, That's going to make you know make a certain impact, and then he plays with those words, and it's apparently goes through a lot of drafts. He's very careful with the words and matching the original syllables and the sound. And I guess over time he's become more true to the original sound too in construction. So you have this moment where you're listening to one of his direct parodies, and you're not quite sure it's a parody. So then when the the voice comes in, when his voice comes in, that's the tip off, and then it that surprise is kind of part of the fun. Oh, it's a parody. Um, oh,
2: it's Weird Al. Okay, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. I
4: think is yeah. a great moment. A lot of times in rock music, you don't even notice the words. You're kind of coming along. I'm one of those people that's terrible at kind of remembering lyrics and I just kind mm-hmm. of say whatever uh, along with the melody. <laughs> it's, a, it's a problem. Um, but with Weird Al, it's all about the words and his very distinct voice is the tip off. Um, then you've got the style parodies, and these are great. So it's often in the a certain style, a certain genre, uh parodying aspects of that genre. Um, but they are original compositions. He's
2: yeah, like like Dare to be stupid, uh Dare
4: to be stupid, slime
2: creatures of outer space, uh, uh the sports song comes to mind.
4: Absolutely. So, those
2: are those are those are style parodies.
4: Yes, and Dare to be stupid is a great example because it's in the style of Devo, which is right. very <laughs> unique already. Um, And it's become a sort of anthem about being different, marching in your own way, um, uh, doing things um, yet not following along, not conforming. It's this wonderful sort of anthem for so many people, fans that have considered themselves outsiders.
2: Yeah, yeah, and then uh, so we have the 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 straight uh, the parody, the style parody, mm-hmm. and then we have the polka song.
4: The polka um, medleys, amazing! Oh, uh,
2: especially let's face it. Look, Hamilton, his oh. his. Holy shit. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Hamilton. I personally think it is the single greatest cultural event of the last decade Um, and uh, will live on way beyond our lives. Uh, And anybody who has seen it, uh, you know, should come away with the recognition of how significantly a, a, a cultural shift moment that is. So it's perfect fodder for for Al. Uh, um, But to to take all those songs and then turn them all into a polka uh, was just extraordinary. And I've seen, uh, you know, uh, I I think it was uh, Jimmy Fallon and and Lin-Manuel just playing it and just laughing their asses off.
4: Yeah. And it's so genuine, their reaction of humor, you know, they're laughing, but also in awe of what he did. yeah.
2: Yeah. And both, by the way, huge, Longtime Al fans yeah. themselves.
4: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And friends, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda and, and Al sound like they're pretty good friends now, too. Um, and Lynn manuel Miranda has credited Al with that mixing of genres that you see in Hamilton. And, mm-hmm. and what he does with the medley is this mixing of different genres um, as inspiration. Um, A lot of his medleys are so fun, uh, some of the other ones, because not only do they juxtapose different styles, you've got the polka style with something completely different, but also all of these different songs are combined together, very different songs in that polka style, so there's so much at play in that, not to mention the accordion talent involved.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, let, you know, Al's, uh, you know, his instrument of choice is the squeeze box, the accordion. Yeah. He was, I think, given one at uh, like seven. Uh, door-to-door
4: a- salesperson is <laughs> yeah. the cause of all of this.
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 th- yeah, tell that story.
4: Well, it's amazing. Apparently, this is something that happened, that there were door-to-door accordion salespeople And one came by the home and they decided to get this accordion and uh, or rent the accordion and do lessons. So he took lessons for a very short period. Was it seven or eight? Um, But it stuck. So he experimented with this accordion later on. And and he remembers playing Elton John's music, working it out on the accordion later in life. And that's apparently something he played once he was at Cal Poly and, and was a big hit with the people in the dorm. Um, so, yeah, it all began with the door-to-door salesperson,
2: yeah, so uh, he picks up the 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 accordion, and in a weird sort of way, the king of the accordion at the time is also a Yankovic, uh yes. Frankie Yankovic. That's right. no um, relation. no relation <laughs> <laughs> just, that's cosmic,
4: yeah, it's amazing. And apparently they met. There's a great picture of the two of them. It's amazing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, it's in the book. It's in the book. So, uh, yeah, I have Polka Party uh, and to me, the, the the I just put a smile on my face and every time I hear it is uh, his uh, rendition of Hot Rocks or basically a bunch of Stones uh, songs uh, streamed together because of the album Hot Rocks, which was a greatest hits album. And it's just there's so many so many metal layers going on of, of comedy in, in that one piece right there.
4: No, absolutely. And the incongruity. Yeah, it's amazing.
2: Yeah. So, you know, we we talked about Dr. Demento, we talked about uh, the the um the the, the fathers of, of comedy that uh, that Al followed. Um, you know, you just mentioned a third uh piece of the building of Weird Al and that is Elton John.
4: Oh, yeah. Mhm yeah i guess early on um he played with elton john's music worked out how to play it on the accordion and this was a seed for so much that combination of styles of uh, accordion associated with polka um and and then the rock popular music world and and that that combination is just at the heart of so many of his parodies this mixing of genre um that he's so clever with yeah elton john was big
2: yeah and learning all those songs i'm sure uh you know even with an accordion uh you know you can uh you can make yourself a little popular uh playing uh you know my song or daniel uh on accordion Uh, that would be a lot of fun i'm sure Yeah. yeah yeah i believe he did he learned every song on goodbye yellow brick road yes yeah Yeah. so 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 there's your there's your musical foundation Mm -hmm. uh i mean you you can't pick somebody better than elton john uh if you want to uh, emulate a career in music
4: oh yeah yeah a long career in music like al Mm -hmm.
2: yeah uh you know the other thing it's interesting now going back to some of the lyrics uh you know there's a lot of food references in there he gets asked this a lot uh you know i mean let's face it you know his first big hit is you know, uh, a takeoff of the next My Sharona, My Bologna. Right. Uh, And uh, and of course, the next big hits through the 80s are Eat It uh, and Fat. Uh, uh, I think he's got a a song on spam and, uh, you know, uh, and so, you know, food is kind of a a, a universal uh, subject matter, wouldn't you say?
4: No, absolutely, and I had to ask him about it because there are so many songs about food, Um, and he admitted up front, okay, I have a stock answer to that, and he said about you know being a starving artist, he's fixated on food, this sort of thing. Um, But in truth, he also said, you know, this is universal subject matter, this is something everyone can relate to, Um, and with "Eat It," I mean, that's a song I play for my kids, and they love that. It's hilarious. Um, I guess it's a little less hilarious these days for. A weird Al, he's very careful about not offending people. So on his last tour, he didn't play any of the parodies of Michael Jackson.
2: It's a, it's a, a oh, oh. So it wasn't the fat shaming uh, thing, no. but more the controversial with Michael Jackson yes. of uh, the the movies and uh, yeah,
4: the um, that documentary, the that
2: molestation, yeah, issues, yeah.
4: Yes. But oh,
2: those are huge hits for him.
4: Yes. Yeah, and he changed his Twitter handle for the longest time. He was the Eat It guy. Um, and now that's that's gone. Um, so that's something he's very careful with. And this is something interesting too, when I was thinking about funny music being taken seriously, it's often not until it really is. And then you have this cancel culture that'll swoop in if you go over a certain line. Um, and throughout Weird Al's career, there have been those moments where something he didn't mean to offend, he never means to offend, um, but something will change in meaning over time. Um, when I first saw him perform, so there's been these moments in the first, um, concert I saw is I, I was kind of late to Weird Al. You know, I was so involved in classical music. Um, I didn't, wasn't really aware of anything else for a long time. Um, but I like to think I was a Weird Al fan before I knew I was a Weird Al fan. That makes any sense. I was a prime Mm. Weird Al fan candidate. I'm doing my own thing, but I just, I just didn't know it anyway. So I came to his, uh, Not this last tour, I did go to this last tour, but the tour before that, and he performed a song and he said right up front, You know, I use the word midget in this song, I wouldn't do that now, but I did then. Um, and even in word crimes, he has the word spastic, which is apparently a very problematic word in the UK, but he wasn't aware of it at the time, um, so he apologized. Um, but there's been these different moments where a song changes in meaning over time even eat it you know with these revelations around Michael Jackson um so that's something he's very he's very aware of
2: yeah um you know you as you said uh you know the meanings of of uh, events or um uh what is acceptable behavior um mm-hmm you know, later on becomes unacceptable behavior. And when you have a long career, um, you know, you, you can't be held responsible for commenting on what is acceptable at a moment and then later on, you know, it's, it's just part of your catalog. Now, right. it seems like he's doing some of the right things by, right. you know, saying, uh, you know, I, I would do things different today, knowing what we know now, right. uh, or, <laughs> you know, that, uh, you know, I, I was unaware of uh, a lot of the certain issues that uh, existed when I did certain things in the past. Yeah. You have to, you know, cancel culture is, uh, you know, it's a touchy subject. Um, some of it is deserved, um, yeah. and, uh, some of it is not. And uh, I, I think, it, you know, it has to be taken on a case by case basis, You know, comedy, parody, these things should have wide latitude. And
4: and understanding the context when it came out. I was fascinated by the whole thing that went up around Baby, It's Cold Outside, because um, you remember all of this? Yeah. Yeah. outside duet. Yeah. Um, now, in looking at it, yes, you go, okay, this woman, uh, this it's is
2: apparently pro- trying to get out of there, right? This and is he's not letting him, right? <laughs>
4: but then, when you look at the period, apparently, what's in this drink meant something different. Uh, apparently, the, based on the context, then it, it it wasn't the same as how we're looking at it. So yeah. I think when someone you know is offended by a past song, and 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 an artist can explain that. Um, I, I think that's something to be valued. Then again, how a person feels in response to a song, based on the current moment and what that does to them, is also valid. And if that's a negative experience, that's all also valid. So it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky mix.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's uh, you know you can step in it, uh, uh, I guess. But I, again. Th- comedy should have a wide latitude we're not talking civil war statues here you know <laughs> which are very specifically meant to make a very specific point uh you know this is this is just trying to have some fun uh, some wordplay yeah. and uh you know uh you know what what was uh you know lightly acceptable uh, may not be so today and yeah. you know we yeah, can we, we should be able to have an open mind
4: that's great that you brought up the uh, the Civil War monuments. I just saw a little Twitter thread amongst musicologists about what songs we could behead or topple and I oh,
2: I saw a friend uh put something up yesterday yeah. for the bands uh the night they drove old Dixie down.
4: yeah, yeah, and- I think there are some we potentially could, but I don't think it's weird Al. <laughs> I think- no.
2: Yeah. no certainly not, <laughs> not uh, weird it's Al. Com- again, it's comedy, yeah and and it has to be taken at its time i mean you know uh look at uh, you know blazing saddles for example which you know just totally makes fun of the issue but they use the n-word in that movie a couple of times yeah no uh, absolutely
4: and i i discussed the most controversial one for me was uh the pretty fly for a rabbi weird owls yeah yeah and white nerdy too that's something (laughs) that's something we could discuss um but i talk about that how i reacted to that but then i also put it in context uh, this particular moment in history so how I was reacting based on now and I was reacting based on a rise in highly visible anti-Semitic moments since Trump. So my reaction was conditioned based on listening to it right now rather than when Al wrote that. So all of that needs to be taken into consideration when you look at at, uh, any music.
2: Well, and, and originally, is there malice or not? And, right. And there is and, no malice in this.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And it's hilarious, and I love it. And it's he's representing the Jewish people and at a time when there wasn't as much representation. So there's a lot going on in that one song. Um, so it's hard to just react with a blanket statement or a blanket no.
2: Yeah, yeah. So uh, you think Al's ever going to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame?
4: Oh, my gosh. It needs to happen. It needs to happen, and his fans <laughs> are on it. And they have been successful in campaigns before to get him his um, his square on the
2: uh, – Yeah, he got the, the star fame. on the Rock, Walk of Fame, Hollywood uh, Boulevard's Walk of Fame. Yes.
4: Yeah. So I think based on their tenacity and the fact that he deserves it, <laughs> it it'll happen.
2: Well, the fact that, uh, as we mentioned, Dr. Demento, you know, uh, points to Al as, uh, you know, the Beatles in, uh, you know, comedy records. And, you know, he is um, a a huge part of the rock and roll era zeitgeist. Uh, It just just is, Uh, you know, uh, you know, he's he's having a, a play on a lot of famous songs and a lot of a lot of artists that are now in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame themselves. Uh, And, um, you know, uh, if it's quality of work and its influence, uh, its record sales uh, all combined, um, I I think he kind of hits the trifecta there.
4: That's true. And he has such a relationship, you're right, to the history of popular music, to the history of rock and roll. so much of his, his parody, the success of his parody, depended on the fame of the song he was targeting. But in, in so doing that, he often cemented the fame of whoever this person was. He, there's so many different stars that were thrilled that they were getting a Weird Al parody. Um, so there was this, he, this very interesting relationship here where he is marking the fame of, he's marking history. He was marking the history of popular music. Um, he's so, also
2: proving the point of those songs that they are that significant. Yeah, uh, because if if they warrant a Weird Al parody, boy, they 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 must have uh, have hit the jackpot themselves.
4: Absolutely. So he's part of the history making that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame does.
2: Some of the first history, the first commentary on saying yes, this is something yeah. that needs to be. Uh, heralded yeah uh, he
4: is there. like he is the rock and roll hall of fame as far as i'm concerned <laughs> he doesn't need to be in it necessarily because he is it huh
2: yeah uh, right <laughs> yeah in a in a weird sort of way yeah he he has played uh many uh of the of the songs that he has parodied. The, these artists are already in the rock and roll Hall of fame Absolutely. he should follow along with them
4: he really so, should and he's such a cultural touchstone now you know he's a reference point in so many different aspects of culture he's he's like an icon now
2: yeah yeah so we have uh, like I said dr. Demento, the uh, the 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 foundation uh, the uh, basic infrastructure of the comedic uh, geniuses that uh, preceded him Elton John as uh, the musical uh, aspect Um, you mentioned Rod Serling with Twilight Zone Um, how I should have stopped you right then and said how does that fit in because I couldn't quite figure out how I I see him and, and, and we're going to, we're going to delve into mad magazine uh, because that's, that's, obviously uh, a huge influence on him with a lot of us of that of that age and you know and let's give it up to al Jaffe, uh who just retired this week at 99 after uh, 65 years uh, with mad magazine yeah. um and i think al's favorite um uh, artist uh, was mort drucker uh when he was with the, the magazine a long time so if you can't take rod serling and mad magazine and go
4: okay <laughs> well, when I was asking about influences, when I asked Al, um, I knew, I had read in other interviews his mention of, you know, Stan Freeberg and Alan Sherman and some of these others, um, but I was surprised when he said uh, Serling, but it made yeah. some sense at the same time. There's, in the Twilight Zone, there's a great, great use of word by this gentleman, and his delivery is so iconic, you know, with the, oh, cigarette. yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of made sense, this focus on language again. And then Mad Magazine also, language is everything. The play with language and the play with words and the play with foreign words, Yiddish words. Um, And that's something you see filter into Weird Al's work. Also, uh, they also parody. um, And I mean, it's all parody. And they parody songs. They got into legal trouble. Um, early on uh, kind of. Made- oh, Mad
2: Magazine actually tried to uh, do comedy, musical comedy themselves. Yeah, right? they
4: put out these parodies and they got into some trouble for it. Um, it you know, parody is considered uh, fair use. It's-
2: it is now. Uh, it is uh, in now. The mid-90s, uh, Campbell versus Acuff Rose. Uh, right you know, established that uh, parody had uh, uh, leeway, legal standing, right. Uh, and uh, could be considered fair use.
4: That's right. And Weird Al, uh, so Weird Al seeks out permission, but technically he doesn't have to. Uh, yeah. technically what he does is fair use, um, but it wasn't, we didn't have that legal case, that legal framework in place for bad magazine
2: in, in the, in the 1950s. Right. right. So right. they
4: got into some trouble. Alan Sherman got into some trouble. Um, parody was, uh, was seen as uh, not quite the original artistic, uh, entity that it, it, it actually is. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
4: but that play with language that play with parody, uh, it's a huge influence there in mad magazine. Um, mm-hmm. yeah
2: yeah so that 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 those are the influences uh, uh of al and how he becomes that and by the way y- you know uh a mad magazine especially since the, it did use a lot of uh yiddish language and introduced us to to some of those wonderful uh colorful words yes. uh that we could get away with saying uh yes. that uh, a lot of people didn't know what you were talking about yes. uh, but but at the same time it, it's important to know that that Al is not Jewish, not Jew- even though a lot of people assume he is.
4: Absolutely. I, I wasn't sure. When I first started this project, I was like, maybe he's Jewish. You know, he's got my curls. I was <laughs> like, maybe, <laughs> maybe he's part of my family.
2: He's um, just honorary Jew.
4: Uh, and he is considered an honorary Jew by many with the pretty fly uh, for a pretty fly for a rabbi. And with the, this Yiddish does crop up in a lot of his different uh, music. Um, but no, yeah, he's sadly not Jewish.
2: <laughs> <laughs> sadly, yeah. <laughs> oh, but uh, so we we've got him, uh, we've got him all covered here uh, now on uh, on who you know why he does what he he does. Um, uh, you know, another thing that um, that really is important at this point is to bring in the band. Yes. Uh, because, you know, at first Al started, in a weird way, Al started as a solo artist, and mm-hmm. then he became a, a, a band member, and he's basically had the same band since 1982. Yes. Uh, and that, that I, I have to bring up the Santa Monica Civic gig, uh, because I was there. Oh, wow! In the front row, on the rail, uh, watching Al, uh, and for me, I, when I read your, your piece, I, I did not remember. Al getting thrown, uh, you know, uh, shoes and other accoutrements thrown uh, at him. I just remember having a good time and, and laughing at it. And I, I, um, I uh, called my, uh, my writing partner, uh, who I've known for 40 years, and we went to that show together and I said, do you remember this? And he goes, oh yeah. He goes, I remember Al getting hit in the face by something and i even remember the song that he was singing which is uh, um uh it was a, a play on the bad company uh song um uh i feel like uh feel like throwing up is what what al's <laughs> version was and i was like really i don't remember that uh I, I remember i remember missing persons uh you know and uh and all of that and he was like ah al was great missing persons sucked <laughs> So, so yeah, that was their uh, that was their introduction as a band. That was their first gig, right?
4: That's amazing that you were there. You're part of history. I love hearing mm. that story. It's amazing. Yeah. 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 Al does not have those uh, fond memories that you have of it. Or, you know, he he does remember the objects being thrown.
2: There was at least one person in the audience that was having a good fucking time.
4: Well, that's good to know. I hope I hope he hears this.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Well, remember, I I grew up on Dr. Demento. I knew how Al was. So it was no surprise to me what he was going to come out and do. And maybe to the other uh let us call uh the new wave oriented audience at the time uh looking forward to seeing the new wave act missing persons uh you know didn't quite get the comedy uh, yeah
4: yeah and it is an interesting mix i guess there's a whole history of comedians or comedic music opening for Someone Steve else. Martin
2: for, used to do it for you know like a decade before he goes.
4: Yes, but it is still sometimes considered an odd pairing. I've been reading a lot about Largo, kind of trying to write something about this nightclub in Los Angeles, Largo, where you have this mm-hmm. great mixing of comedy and music, and um a lot of
2: its artists in i think it goes back to the jewish tradition of the catskills uh you know that was a common thing you know you'd have the comedian then you'd have the music act and you'd have a comedian in between in fact usually the mc was a bit of a comedian and so oh yeah and early
4: nightclubs in the 40s all across the united states had that combination and vaudeville there's a whole history there but for some reason It is considered an interesting pairing now that, you know, I think this idea, this very serious idea of music as somehow being different than comedy is, has really taken hold. Um, Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, I I agree. So people probably weren't quite prepared for uh, Weird Al before that particular group. Um, But yes, you're right. The act
2: is Weird Al. So, you know, uh, no holds barred at that point.
4: No. But this was uh, this was the big debut for this group that has continued for so long and it, it kind of happened organically with Bermuda just there in Dr. Demento's studio for Another One Rides the Bus, the big premiere there
2: um yeah. just the second the second hit uh for al yes uh which again was that was done live in the studio uh, in the and recorded studio. yeah yeah, yeah it's and again it was pretty much just uh accordion al and uh and then some drums right yeah well
4: and i and th- bermuda if i remember correctly was just banging on the accordion case so it was just yeah. kind of this <laughs> kind of organic unplanned situation which is amazing. And he's been around. Bermuda's now the unofficial historian. He's got all the saved documents and all the information and he's been with Al forever.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, so he, 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 Goes from, like I said, uh, just a a kid with an accordion, uh, you know, with a tape deck uh, into uh, bringing in a band. And I I think um, uh, his manager, uh, Jay Levy, has a lot to do with that as well, right?
4: Yeah. Yes. And he's been wonderfully nice. He's been with him from the beginning also. Um, It's an amazing group. And I did get to interview Bermuda and ask him something about this. You know, is Al really as nice as they say? Because it would suggest that he is just just in the fact that these individuals have been with him for so long, have chosen to work with him for all of these years. And that's unusual. Um, Bermuda was helpful in in underscoring just how unusual that is. Uh, I think you 2 ZZ Top have been together for that long. But, but this is a very short list. <laughs> Most bands do not stay together for that long.
2: Well, and especially uh, a, a, a band that really is, about one guy yeah. and then side men, usually the side men are interchangeable, uh, yeah. over time. And that's just not the case with this band.
4: Yeah. Yeah. This team has been together all of these years and it's a real testament to what it must be like to work without.
2: Yeah. So, you know, it it, the, by by bringing in the band, it allowed it uh, obviously allowed him to expand his sonic palette and instrumentation, mm-hmm. and it sh- kind of shifted um, uh, how he went about creating uh, his his songs. It was you know it was it was all about just the wordplay, yeah. Uh, and then and then the just the comedic element of having an accordion uh, play the right. music, yeah. And then they switched to really really trying to emulate the original. Compositions yeah. musically um and uh and then just adding al's voice on would you know present would 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 provide the comedy right
4: yes, it gets very complex too the the sound matching process over time, you're right, initially, so many of the songs you know that's not uh, you you know it's a parody right off the bat because you've got the accordion and other kind of slapsticky sound but over time, part of the fun became this guessing game. Oh, this is the original. Oh no, wait, this is weird out because of that sound matching process. It would just get got more and more difficult to actually do um, with advances in technology.
2: Uh, Yeah. You know, in the, in the eighties and nineties you know uh, the, the sonic palette was limited uh and now with computers and sampling and all the things that are layered on top of songs so so to try to parody uh you know a current song it's got to be uh pretty difficult to to strip it down and figure out how uh how the these piece parts are put together absolutely
4: and when the musicians have been stumped uh bermuda's talked about uh actually calling up musicians from the original group and saying, how did you do this? So that they can then copy that.
2: Mm. Uh, And then the other thing that I found really interesting is that they, they speed up the tempos a little bit.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Comedy just plays better a little faster, apparently. (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> i think that was funny uh all right so he got to work with uh, with a couple of, of famous uh, uh people uh in his career you know rick derringer did uh, the producing for the early albums until right. al probably felt comfortable in the studio right
4: yes yes and apparently there were some other issues with that producer nothing that al mentioned but uh, other informants described some some possible substance distractions.
2: Um, oh, on, on on Rick's part.
4: Yes, um, <laughs> yes.
2: But- um, So he became less enamored uh, and uh, more interested in uh, self-medication. As
4: that's as what know. I gather, but not from Al. Um, right. But yes, so Al became more comfortable with producing and and he really, you know, he's such a smart guy. He learns on the fly. He learned all of these different aspects of music making as he went along. So then he became Mm -hmm. able to be in charge of so much, you know, the producing and the videos and all of this. So,
2: yes. Yeah. So he does that. He takes over, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, it's it's only the first few albums, I think, that Derringer's on. But uh, another thing that I didn't know uh, was that he worked with Wendy Carlos.
4: Yes, isn't that fascinating? I found that little connection fascinating because for a different project, I was thinking about writing something about Wendy Carlos because this is an amazing musician with the switched on Bach. Switched on
2: Bach, yeah. Switched on
4: Bach, which was a huge moment in classical music, kind of uh, bringing classical music. Yes, that
2: must have tickled your fancy.
4: Yes, I found that fascinating, bringing classical music to the masses in this whole new, very creative way. Um, So to have this very innovative, musician, Wendy Carlos, uh, in connection with uh, a children's album, is what mm-hmm. this was. Um, so Weird Al uh, does know that he has a great fan base uh, with children. And early on, he did uh, his own versions of uh, Peter and the Wolf uh, with Wendy Carlos, um, which is just amazing. I haven't been able to get my hands on that album to actually listen to it. But just reading about it, it's like, how did the, this is amazing? Um, but it, it makes sense, you know, since then, well, even early on, Weird Al had a children's show and he's since then written books for children. Um, so he certainly knows. The, oh, and he's. I, how could I forget Captain Underpants? I have a yeah. young son who loves Captain Underpants, and at the end, you get and the he, weird Al song. Yeah,
2: song. Right. 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 Yeah, yeah he's had his uh, his forays into uh, television. A uh, first with MTV, mm-hmm. where he uh, had Al TV. Basically, mm-hmm. he would take over MTV for uh, a couple of hours, and uh, and uh, and he did a series of these. <laughs> hilarious fake interviews.
4: Yes. Yeah. I yeah, I feel like Randy Rainbow has, has a whole resurgence with some <laughs> of that that same technique, that splicing together of him in these mock interviews. But yeah, Weird Al was all about those on MTV and they are hilarious
2: yeah i guess we could call randy rainbow uh, a child of weird al huh
4: yes yeah we're, yeah it's a little different because of the political focus and that's something weird al just would not do that explicit political focus randy Rainbow is all about the politics which i personally but it's, par- love it's it.
2: parody it's, it's parody, uh, mostly of Broadway tunes, but uh but it's still very similar of taking that and then wordplay.
4: Yes. Oh no, absolutely, yes. I've never spoken to Randy Rainbow, but he's got to cite Weird Al as some sort of model. Um, but yeah, as a parodies, but with this different focus on Broadway hits and politics.
2: Yeah. All right. So over the years, what what do you glean from the critical reception that Al has gotten? And would it be fair to say that Al's critical reputation has grown over the
4: decades? I think so. Absolutely. Okay. So uh, reading the different press, because I tried to go back and get articles from the very beginning. Um, it was very frustrating. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Al o- over his career to read some of the same sorts of things. I kept Reading the word still. He's still performing. He's still here. Like no one expected this to continue. So, even in positive reviews, there would be this astonishment somehow, like, oh, wow, here's Weird Al.
2: <laughs> yeah, he's still around and he's still doing the same thing he's been doing yeah. for the last X amount of years.
4: Absolutely. Right? And there were these early dismissals that somehow his music was immature. He's always focusing on food. I read this really terrible critique in the Los Angeles Times just taking him to task for this. This kind of infantile focus on food, um, but uh, that reception has changed, and that you know certainly wasn't the norm. And uh, in 2014, that was a year where there was so much um, press around Weird Al, and uh, and
2: some. Well, oh, he, he had a number one album, he,
4: so, right? You know, you that, which,
2: when you hit the number one, uh, you know the uh, the vultures circle.
4: Well, I guess the vultures did certainly circle and and they highlighted important aspects about how long his career was. um, And we have some of these bigger thought pieces. And then I read another review, I can't remember who it was by, about how there shouldn't be thought pieces around Weird Al because there's nothing to think about. He just is funny. So there's a real mixed bag of chips when it comes to writing about Weird Al that I had to take in. How do you respond? How do you honor what he's done and really look at the weight in it um without um killing the humor which seemed to be the point of this particular critic um yeah.
2: dissecting the frog as you uh point exactly out the dissecting
4: yeah. the frog how can we talk about this music in a serious way without somehow ruining his wonderful <laughs> music it's a real catch-22 situation <laughs> but um yeah some critics tried some of that and in 2014 and not everyone loved it but um yeah there's definitely been a change in how he's received and it's just impossible that there wouldn't be after all of these years how can you deny it how can you still be talking about Weird Al's comeback at this yes, point. Yes,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's actually embraced uh, some of that because I think every album is a comeback. Right.
4: That's it? what he said. He's <laughs> he's aware of all of this and everyone's like, "Oh, here's Weird Al again." Okay. Right, Never went right. anywhere, just FYI.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you're uh, Al, uh, you know, the the critics hated Led Zeppelin too. So, you know, you're in good company uh, yes. out there. Although, in uh, Dan Rather interviewed him on the big interview yes. uh in 2015, which I think is, is is a huge moment.
4: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He has had the, some of these big interviews, these big moments. I really think uh, it's just impossible to deny his icon status at this point. Just, you know, he comes up all the time. I'll just be watching a show and then there's a cameo. There's Weird Al. I mean, he's a cultural touchstone. So he is hard to deny now. And there are some people, many people that have recognized that. Um, and even this year, um, this book got reviewed in the Washington Post and then shortly after there was a long write-up on him in the New York Times. Um, so I, I think his status is, is is not going anywhere. I think generally people know. Um, yeah. I, although, I mean, even in saying a lot of people ask me, what are you writing when I was working on this book? And people that knew me or or past mentors at the university Uh, And they're aware of, you know, my other sort of work in the Nazi era and all this. And when I said Weird Al, uh, the responses were very divided. Um, Some people totally got it. You know, Weird Al's amazing. Good for you. And other people were like, what now? Um, (laughs) And I have started to judge people based on this. I know I shouldn't. But, you know, if a person doesn't get how awesome Weird Al is, you know, it's like not appreciating a rainbow. I've got a question. What kind of person you are
2: (laughs) yeah i i I agree i agree i mean with this long of a career uh you know you might be able to uh you know um brush him off if if it was a one-hit wonder yeah um but uh you know he has constantly uh you know you know found that cultural he's a great cultural commentator is, is the thing and uh, you know, it, it's it, he's constantly proving it over and over again. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, he 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 makes some um, what I might say uh, subtle nods to the fact that what he is doing is perhaps a little more serious than one might think. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we've talked about uh, you know his uh, influences, but one other that I do want to bring up uh, that is maybe not so overt. Um, and that's Frank Zappa, who is considered a stone cold genius. Right. Nobody argues that. But lyrically is he that far off of uh of, of al no he's not and in fact i love that al did a song in the mode of of, of frank uh genius in france from right. poodle hat in 2003 where he actually has dweezel play guitar on it Absolutely. um and, and, and it's got all the elements i mean the ruth underwood bits are there you know george duke styling vocals are there it's just you know and he's able to pull it off yeah. Uh, but, you know, I'm a huge Frank Zappa fan. So if if it wasn't good, you know, I'd be, you know, thumbing my nose at it. Yeah. and that is just not the case.
4: Yeah, I have a theory about this. I don't know if you're going to like it. Um, but uh, it's true. Frank Zappa has there's a lot of humor in his music and a lot of cleverness, a lot of wit, a lot of focus on meat products. Um, there's some serious overlap. Um But you're right, Frank Zappa is treated as a genius, and he's someone that academics will write about, um, you know, whereas Weird Al is not. Um, And I wonder if it has to do partly with this issue of niceness. This is my theory. So we've got this idea of the Western genius, right? Like the Beethoven, this kind of grouchy, isolated, um, not always nice figure, right? Um, uh-huh. And there's an idea that that's what it takes to create great art—that you have to be suffering for your art. And uh, Frank Zappa yeah. kind of fit that mold. He wasn't, based on what I've read, he wasn't always the nicest of people. And you, and some of that mean spiritedness—you you see some of that in his music. I mean, there's not a one-to-one correspondence. Music is never a direct reflection of a of a person's personality, but. Uh, in account of him, you kind of have some of that behavior you associate with the Western struggling genius. Uh, whereas Weird Al is nice. He is nice. And I wonder if maybe that's part of the reason people haven't always treated him in a serious way, uh, because he doesn't fit this kind of antiquated, problematic um, model of the creative genius. It's my theory.
2: Interesting, interesting. And, you know, um. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring up a tough subject because I, I, me personally, you know, being a fan and 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 seeing his work over the years, it does seem that his personality does kind of shift a little bit in 2004 with the death of his parents.
4: Hmm. That's hmm, I'm not sure how to answer that. I don't know.
2: Because, I mean, he still maintains, um, you know, the comedic value uh, regardless, and I and I know that was devastating for him. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but I don't know, you know, it, it's, to me, it was like there was this lightness always about him, to your point. Yeah. And it seemed to shift a little bit. There there was a little bit more, what, what appeared to me, and, and maybe I'm just reading it wrong, but uh, more weight on his shoulders. That's
4: uh, interesting. Afterwards. Well, I know that's interesting. I didn't ever look for that sort of switch. And I am very careful. There's a whole history of people trying to ascribe, make a direct connection between what happens in a person's life and their music. You know, and oftentimes a person projects a certain thing in their music or they're doing something because they're getting paid. So it's not, it's always more complicated than that. So I didn't go through his music and try to do that. Mm-hmm. Um I do also know in one quote that he talked about uh, looking towards his music as an escape. He is aware that funny music in times of crisis it, it can be an escape for his listeners and he's had different people contact him about, you know, being in a dark place and and his And the, and escape. him
2: helping. Yeah. Yes,
4: and he found that. He continued his tour after that that terrible moment
2: Mm,
3: um you
4: know he loved his parents so much um but he he found in his music that escape so so i'm not sure um but that's interesting
2: yeah it was just a a a thought that i've had watching al over the years and reading your book and yeah you did not delve into it uh and uh you know I just that's uh, you know there are significant events in one's life, and you yeah. know that was obviously a huge one and yeah. I was just wondering if it really did uh you know i mean you know it affected him but how it affected him in in his trajectory as a as an yeah. artist uh because you know that is an artist's job is to to take those emotional um uh you know our emotional beings and right. try to express uh them uh, out there yeah you know? and and al kept on doing what al does i i wouldn't say his comedy has suffered no. uh because of that uh, no and, and know, he the,
4: definitely still has light moments and he had dark moments before that too you know with some of these biting insults and uh and stuff in some of his songs and kind of dark dark moments um so i don't know i'm thinking of foil that was wait, you know 2014 that song's mm-hmm. hilarious um, and you know, about saving your leftovers. So that was pretty, pretty light. Um, mm. so yeah, I don't know. That's, that's a tough one. I'll have to think more yeah. about that.
2: So mandatory fun is his last album, uh, or he says is going to be his last album, uh, release. Um, uh, so why?
4: Yeah, well, he talked about how fast the music scene changed and it, it made more sense to do the digital downloads um then compiling waiting till you have enough songs and putting out a whole album and then risking the trends to have already changed the music to not be as current um so we'll see what he does in the future but digital downloads it in the future we'll see
2: Mm-hmm. So maybe singles is the, the way yeah. to go, uh, like Drake does uh, these yeah. days, uh, apparently he just dropped singles and, uh, you know, I, I tend to agree. I mean, the, the, the album as an art form um, is, doesn't fit uh, the, uh, the current uh, culture no. uh, and te- technology, the, the, the current consume, how we consume music. Yeah. And the um, pros and
4: cons there I'm going to say my one con just looking through his albums is the cover art. He has some amazing cover art uh through all of his albums. I've just loved all of these different covers and uh and so I'm going to miss that with without another album some of that cover yeah. art
2: yeah yeah oh well you know that goes back to you know missing uh you know the 12-inch uh album format and yeah. everything that came with that yeah. where the album art was really important yeah. to help sell the uh the, the, the wax inside yeah you know, the vinyl inside yeah. uh so uh it it's maybe just uh you know us uh you know being nostalgic for a past that just doesn't exist anymore yeah 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 So what should people uh, who read the book take away uh, from Weird Al seriously?
4: Well, let's see. I hope in reading the book, people see the weight and the work and the genius in the creation of Weird Al's music and all that he does. I also hope people enjoy or are interested in some of the conversations that I see in parody, in his different parodies conversations created between his new song and the original. Um, And I also hope that people uh, see what funny music can mean to people, that it can make different points. It can be a place of solace for outsiders. um, It can also just be a wonderful distraction in times of stress. And I feel like that last point is especially meaningful right now.
2: All right, favorite Weird Al song for you?
4: Oh, that's a tough one. I personally really like some of his songs that play on gender, that take this kind of toxic masculinity and flip it upside down. So Trash Day is a wonderful one. Uh, He takes this hot in here where you've got this like, uh, you know, man telling a woman, take your clothes off, this sorts of thing. And he makes it a conversation about taking out the trash um, and it's wonderful. He does that with uh, Taco Grande as well. And I also love when he takes on uh, music by female singers like I love Rocky Road. He's
3: bone
2: oh,
4: yeah. jet toughness. only instead of looking for a one night stand, he's looking for ice cream. I <laughs> love that.
2: <laughs> oh wow. so Lily Hirsch, what is next for you?
4: I am still working on funny music i'm looking at uh, working on a larger look based on genre um where I'll look at funny music and rap and funny music and country music um and I probably am gonna have to write about all of these covid nineteen parody songs
2: yeah uh it must be really difficult uh keeping up uh the the weird owl. Uh, act when you know you got mom and mom and dads all over the planet uh stealing stealing your act
4: oh yeah yeah but Weird Al you know he does it better than anyone on YouTube he the joke always builds it's not just a one-line joke uh and he doesn't do what's obvious uh so that's a wonderful thing but yes there's a lot of people creating funny music right now and I'm grateful to all of them
2: Well, Lily Hirsch, it's been great having you uh, on the show today talking about Weird Al. Uh, Thanks so much.
4: Thank you. It was a lot of fun. Stay safe.
2: Everybody shut up. joining us today. Please go and pick up her big book on Weird Al. Seriously. Really. Do pick it up and I am being serious. Seriously. Two two quick thoughts. Uh, First, yeah, uh, comparing Weird Al to any of the previous generation of contemporaries in music comedy is not even a fair fight. Al is literally the be-all end-all in the conversation. I mean, take... Muhammad Ali, Babe Ruth, Jim Brown, Tiger Woods, put them all together. He's without doubt the goat in the field. God bless him. God bless Weird Al Yankovic. Secondly, uh, like I keep saying, Hamilton is the musical cultural event of the last decade. And I don't think, like Weird Al, uh, there's anything else in the conversation. It is the Sgt. Pepper of our times. And that is both good and bad. It's great that There's actually one. uh, Something that you could even have a conversation about compared to Sgt. Pepper. And while I love the musical, as if anyone didn't already know that fact, I'm a little disheartened that nothing else on the landscape of the teens is even in the conversation. I mean, what, Ariana Grande? Who I think was compared to the Beatles recently? Uh, I don't know. Kanye? Or Drake? Lady Gaga? who I do love, but I'm I'm not sure. Maroon 5? (laughs) Uh, Am I wrong? Did I miss something of this cultural import in the last decade? I doubt it, but hey, you let me know. Okay, that is it for this week. Next week, we do get into uh, some new rock and roll. I had the pleasure of speaking with Josh Kennedy of the band The Black Moods. They have a new album out called Sunshine that is pretty cool. Rip Roar Straight Ahead Rock and Roll. If you like your uh, Greta Van Fleet's uh, or Struts or My Girls, uh, Bones UK, I think we may be seeing a little bit of a rock and roll revival. And that's great. So tune in next week for all of that. All right, let's leave you with uh, Weird Al singing about another cultural phenomenon that has spanned over 40 years like himself Add that he parodies it with the perfect musical choice. And well, that's why he's a genius. All right, you guys, keep up the rocking. A long,
3: long time ago, in a galaxy far away, Naboo was under an attack.
1: And I thought me
3: and Qui-Gon Jin Could talk the Federation into Maybe cutting them a little slack But their response, it didn't thrill us They locked the doors and tried to kill us We escaped from that gas The met Jar Jar and Boss Nass We took a bongo from the scene And we went to feed to see the queen
2: we all wound up
3: on tattooing That's where we found
2: this boy
3: Oh my, my, this here Anakin guy Maybe Vader someday later Now he's just a small fry And he left his
1: home and kissed her. Deeper Digs is hosted by Christian Swain Produced by Christian Swain and Peter Ferrioli Sound designed by Busy Signal Studios. Engineered by Jerry Danielson, Christy O'Donnell, and Leslie Barker. Find all of our shows, notes, and social links at pantheonpodcast.com. Contact us on social at Pantheon Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. Tweet us at Pantheon Pods. All songs can be found used in this podcast for purchase or streaming wherever you get your great music. Please pick up these amazing tracks.
2: It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football.